Praise the Lord. So uh, we'll, we'll pray for our offering and receive that at the end of our session tonight. But before we begin, uh, we want to take these before the Lord. We want to remember uh, Bishop Keith Hurton. Sister Carr is recovering in Jesus' name, but she's not able to be here. So, so let's lift them up. Does anybody else have a need they want to make mention of tonight? Sister Red? Personal need, Brother Will? The Lord knows. Sister Joanna? You know, there is there is life that comes out of death oftentimes, amen? Whether it be like that or just things get healed sometimes that have been bruised and broken, and so that's awesome. Thank you. So let's all stand if you don't mind, if you're able. We'll, we'll, we'll petition the Lord for our needs, and we'll make mention that his name it is exalted, amen? Thank you, Father, for your goodness and your mercy. We beseech you, Lord, by your tender mercies and your stripes that you bore upon your back that you would reach forth your hands. And minister to those needs that were made mention of here tonight, Lord. Your hand is not shortened that it cannot save, Lord. And your, those bruised back, Lord, that you received at Calvary is just as effective today. Those stripes, Lord, they still work. The blood still flows and it still covers a multitude of sins. And Lord, I thank you for that body that was given for our healing, Lord. For those needs that were unspoken, Lord, you know the need before we even think to open our mouths. And God, I know that you are able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or even think. And that's according to the power that works in us, Lord. We're going to walk by faith and not by sight. We're not going to be discouraged by the voice of the enemy. And Lord, when things don't look like they're going our way, we're going to thus say it to the Lord. We're going to call it like it is according to your word. Lord, we're going to give you praise. We're going to give you glory. We're going to give you all of the thanks for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, I plead the blood over the hearts and minds of the people that have gathered here tonight in every session. Not just this one, but in front of Brother Tex, in front of Brother Jordan. Let their ears be open to hear what thus saith the word of the Lord. Anoint our lips to declare your word, Lord. And let us speak as the oracles of God. And let us bring knowledge to your people. Let them be edified, Lord. And Lord, help us to be fellow ground that's broken up, ready to receive your word. In Jesus' name, instruct us and teach us and lead us in the way that we should go. And help us not to depart from it, Lord. And we'll give you the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Don't forget one special announcement is that um, beginning pretty much right now uh, until tomorrow evening, we're on a church life fast if you can. Uh, so tomorrow night at dinner for the Holy Week that's coming up, we, we do have a service kind of Friday night. I guess that kind of kicks off everything. And then uh, Sunday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday of next week, and then, of course, Easter Sunday. Bring somebody with you to church. Amen. It's Spring Sunday. Amen. Amen. And we always talk in our team meetings about Share Sunday, Friends Sunday. And uh, it doesn't have to be that Sunday, of course, to bring somebody to church. It just kind of gives, I don't know, more backbone to the invitation, I guess. Say, hey, listen, it's Friends Sunday. It's Share Sunday. Why don't you come with me? You know, it just kind of gives you a little bit extra. You know, it's not just any Sunday. We could, you know. And then, of course, the people that don't normally go to church, it seems like almost all of them will go to church on Easter. So find you some of those people and get them here. Amen. Amen. It's better here than anywhere else. Amen. Praise the Lord. Who's ready to speak in tongues? 
So we're going to start in the back. Start in the back with our Aleph Bet. Again. And I got Sister Mia to bring me a water because I've got a dry, boring sermon coming up for you tonight. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I like this. This is fun. This is really interesting to me. I hope it's interesting to y'all. All right. Who's ready to begin? Aleph. Bet. Now, what happens if it doesn't have a dot? Bet. Yeah. So here's an easy way to remember. The ones that do have a dot, the first letter listed is how it's pronounced with the dot. Does that make sense? So if you take away the dot, the letter after the bracket is what you use to pronounce. So without the dot, that's vet. Next one is gimel. Dalet. Hey. Vav. Zayin. Chet. I think I heard some, I heard some slim clearing over there. That's good stuff. Chet. Tet. Kind of looks like a whale, doesn't it? Just kind of look at it for a second. Like abstract art. <laughs> Tet. And then Yod. Kaf. And then without the dot, Kaf. Yeah, Kaf. <laughs> and then, of course, the next one is just Kaf Sofit. But you don't say the Sofit, right? If it's at the end of a word, you would just pronounce it Kaf. Okay? Um, but it's Kaf Sofit or final Kaf. Um, just some of the Hebrew letters, when they appear at the end of the word, they've written them differently, okay? Lamed, Mem, and here's another Sofit, Mem, Sofit, Nun, and then Nun, Sofit, Samek, Ain, Pe, or without the dot, Fe, Sadi, and then Sadi, Sofit, And this one we didn't put the dot because that'd be very confusing. So if you have a dot on the left side, what is that one? Shin, that's right, because shin is never right. So if the dot is over the right, it's shin, shin. And then the last one, tav, tav. So let's do it one more time just for fun. Aleph, bet, gimel, dalet, he, vav, zayin, chet, tet. Sofit, Lamed, Mem, Mem Sofit, Nun, Nun Sofit, Samek, Ain, Pe, Pe Sofit, Sari, Sari Sofit, Kof, Resh, Shin, Sin, Tav. Wonderful. Wonderful. Wonderful, wonderful. What did you say, Brother Doug? You said wonderful. Okay. So we're going to learn another another term. Another term this week. Our Hebrew term of the week is Be'ezrat Hashem. Be'ezrat Hashem. Hashem. So let's say that. Be'ezrat Hashem. Now, literally, if the, the English translation 
would be best said, Lord willing. That's, that's Lord willing in English. It's kind of the loose interpretation is Lord willing. Now, literally, what that means is by or with the help of the Lord. I mean, you could see how that would be interpreted as Lord willing, but literally it means with the help of the Lord. In other words, you'll say only by the help of the Lord or only if he wills it, this is what it's going to be. Like tomorrow, you say, Brother Ash, tomorrow, Bezrat Hashem, I'm going to go to work. You know, it's literally tomorrow by the help of the Lord, we're going to wake up and we're going to face tomorrow. Lord willing. That's right. That's right. That's right. So Bezrat Hashem. Bezrat. You can, if you, when you, when you truncate it, when you say it like you're speaking Hebrew, Bezrat Hashem. Bezrat Hashem. Bezrat Hashem. Yeah. Kind of like we, we run our letters and our sounds, they kind of run into each other, right? Bezrat Hashem. All right. So let's go through our, uh, our vocabulary for this week. Who wants to give that one a swirl? A swirl, rather. Go ahead, Brother Carr. Yitzhak. 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 That is Isaac. That is Isaac. But his name also means laugh. Laugh. <laughs> yes. And, and you, most of us probably know why his name is laughter. But we'll talk about that tonight. So Yitzhak is Isaac or laugh. Okay, this next one, that's Rivka. Rivka. Anybody want to take a guess at what that one is in English? Rebecca. Rivka is Rebecca. This next one is a gas station. <laughs> Come on, Sister Jelena, you're there. Because there are no ch sounds, right? There's no ch sounds. So it's Hebron. 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 But we would call it Hebron. That's Hebron. Hebron or Hebron in English. Hebron. Now can you see it? Now can you hear it? Hebron. Yeah. You see that? Yeah. Hebron. H-E-B-R-O-N in English, Hebron, or Hebron, you know, Hebron. Okay, this one, Be'er Sheva, Beersheba, Be'er Sheva. This literally means a well of oath, a well of oath, like a water well, well of oath, or seventh oath, seventh well, like a water well, of oath, like promises, oath, like a covenant, oath, O-A-T-H, yes, O-A-T-H, well of oath. Okay, this one I mentioned before, but let's see if you remember what this means, oheb, oheb. Somebody said it, I heard it, where was it? Was that Sister Cherry? Tent, that's tent, 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 oheb, tent. We're going to talk a little bit more about the tent tonight. So I was reading that today, uh, and no. Hold on to it. 
sure we have time. I got a lot of stuff. It's all right. Okay. This one. Kiryat Arba. Kiryat Arba. This is called, Kiryat means town or place. Mostly town, but it could mean place. And then Arba means of the four. So this is town of the four, like number four. Town of the four or place of the four. We'll learn a neat little thing about this tonight. No. <laughs> All right. Now here's a word that is you and I. Goy. Goy. Literally it means nation or Gentile. We are not Jew, we are Goy. We are Goy. Now the next one, you'll see that Yod and then the Mem Sofit at the end, so that makes it plural. Goyim. Goyim. So literally, nations or Gentiles. Goyim. Some people will tell you it's a, a derogative or a derogatory term. It's really not. It literally just means nations, non-Jews. You can use it derogatory, I suppose. Like you could almost use anything to be derogatory, given context, I guess. But generally speaking, it's not a derogatory or a put down. It's all goy. Okay, this one is am. It means people or race. So it's like a race of people. So here's a neat little saying. You say, Am Israel Chaim. Live the people of Israel live. Am Israel Chaim. Am Israel Chaim. The people of Israel live. Okay, so what does Amin mean? It means yes. We got a Yod and a Mem Sofit. So it's races or people. Again, like, you know, there's no people, plural like that, really. I guess you could, but it's people or races. What did you say, Jim? People or, or races, plural. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Now, this one is todot, todot, and that means offspring or descendants. Todot, Avram. Descendants of Abraham. Todot means offspring or descendants. Okay. This this is a name. This is Esav. Esau. Esav. Esau. And then the last name. Yaakov. Yaakov. Yes. Because there is no J sound in Hebrew. Yaakov. Yaakov. But Jacob. We write, we call them Jacob. Jacob in English. Yes, ma'am. Amin. No. It's a good question, but no. I do. I do. I do. I do. Because literally it is more correct to use race or races versus people. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So Last week, we talked quite a bit about Avram Avinu. Who was that? Abraham, our father. Yes, awesome. We talked about him a lot. But I made reference to this place called Ohel Sarah, which is Sarah's tent. And so particularly about how 
It makes several appearances throughout Genesis. When you learn this and you read Genesis again, you'll probably be like, defense, there's defense, there's defense, there's defense. I never saw it like that until I studied this, and it is mind-blowing what happens in this tent. So tonight we're going to talk about that. So we're going to revisit that. But before we do, I want to highlight this one term tonight that's not often discussed, but it is actually quite interesting. So that place, Hebron, which is where? Hebron. Good. That is quite common in Scripture. You read about Hebron a lot. The most ancient name of that place is actually the one term you also learned, Kiryat Arba, and Hebron are the same place. The most ancient name being Kiryat Arba, which earlier we learned means town or place of the four, correct? This is what the Tanakh refers to as town of the four giants. Town of the four giants. Not talking about Nephilim, which are giants, but giants like pillars of the Jewish faith. So which four? I'm so glad you asked. I'm glad you asked that question. So Kiryat Arba, or Hebron, is the town of the patriarchs. So if this is known as the town of the four, and we learned last week, and you know this from being in church, that there are three patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Who's the fourth? It's interesting. So what is it about this place? We'll learn. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. I haven't said it yet. I'm holding that. I'm going to hold on to that for a minute. So in Genesis 23, when Sarah dies in Kiryat Arba, verse 2 says it, the same is Hebron. So it equates it there. It's the same place. Now remember, these places are not necessarily, when this is occurring, they don't necessarily have the same name as when Moses is writing this. So that's why he's reiterating, this is what it's today, but this is Kiryat Arba. This is what they knew it as back then. So Avram Avinu, he goes to these sons of Heth, who own this beautiful piece of real estate, and seeking a burial place for Sarah, particularly a place called the Cave of Machpelah. And it's kind of funny when you read it, because in English it almost sounds like, what's this piece of land between me and you? Actually, it doesn't matter. Just give me all your life savings. It almost sounds like that when you read it. But it's not. It's very interesting, because this place is very valuable. And so the guy that's selling it doesn't want to play it as to where he's going to give it away cheap. So this place, he's offering to pay, basically, Moses says, whatever you ask me for it, I'm going to give. Or Abraham says, as much as you want for it, I'm going to give you for it. And so it's obvious then that this place is not just any place. This place is special. So basically he pays 400 shekels of silver. He purchases this cave and the land that surrounds it for this burial. And he buries Sarah there. Later, Avram Avinu is also buried there. And then Isaac is buried there. Jacob is buried there. We know Jacob had two wives from Laban, but he wanted to be buried there with Leah. 
the Tinderide one, which I don't think we'll have time to talk about what Tinderide means, but she was basically, because of what happened with Eson Jacobs, she was the oldest. She should have got the older brother. He went off and did his hooligan stuff. And so her husband, basically, that she was promised and betrothed to, runs off. And so she's Tinderide because she's been weeping in sorrow because she's got no husband and her younger sister's about to get married first. And so that's why she's Tinderide, because her eyes were red from crying. That's why. So why would Aram Avini pay such a high price for this place? And why would it be called the town of the poor, the place of the poor, when it's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and their wives that are buried there? Because he was purchasing a place, a piece of property, where actually Adam and Eve are buried. That Adam and Eve are buried in this place, in this cave, and Abraham knew it. And he says, when I die and I get buried, I'm going to get buried with the ones that started it all. I'm getting buried with the mother and father of us all, Adam and Eve. And so this cave, that's why it was so valuable, because literally the ones that started the human race are buried in that cave. And so he buys it. Just interesting, isn't it? I mean, stuff that's not there. Machpelah. M-A-C-H-P-E-L-A-H. Machpelah. M-A-C-H-P-E-L-A-H. Machpelah. It's one of those Jewish traditions. It's probably, I would imagine, common knowledge. Sheriff of Jesus Tree, I'm not going to get buried with those anyways. So let's backtrack. Let's back up a little bit while Sarah's alive still. And so she's in her tent, the Ohel Sarah, in Genesis, or what's Genesis called in Hebrew? Anybody remember? So Genesis 18, Bereshit 18, we find Avram Avinu outside of this tent recovering from the Bris Milah. And these angels visit him. And they have this conversation. And in the course of this conversation, the angels, we mentioned this last week, they ask, where's Sarah? And in English, it sounds like she's in the tent. But in Hebrew, she's in the tent, of course. She's where Sarah always is. She's in this place where she communes with El Shaddai. She's in the place where she meets with the Lord, with the God Almighty. And so it's that tent, though, where Sarah has this prayer life. It's a tent where Sarah has communion. It's a tent where she receives angelic visitation. And it's a tent where she hears the promises of Hashem. So this tent is not just a dwelling place. It's not just a shelter. This is a place like an altar. Abraham was an altar builder, but he had a wife that was a woman of prayer. And so she built this relationship and communion in this tent. And so this is a very, very special place. And so she hears this promise that God makes in Genesis 18, 10, and 12. This is what he said. He said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah, thy wife, shall have a son. And it says, and Sarah heard it in the tent door, which was behind him, behind Abraham. So she's in the tent. She hears this promise. And it says, now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age. 
and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. And verse 12 says, therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, after I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also. So the King James translators interpreted this, Sarah laughed within herself. But the more accurate translation would be that Sarah laughed at her insides. She's 90 years old, right? She laughed at her insides. She laughed at her inability and her incapability because it ceased to be with her as the manner of women is, which we know that means that she's able to produce life. So Sarah's 90 years old, well past childbearing and childrearing stages. So she hears this promise from Hashem. It's like, it's not like she laughed till he dies. You know, it's not like that at all. It's like she literally looked inwardly and laughed at her condition, at her inability to perform the promise that God had given. And so when God tells you he can do something with you, in you, through you, it's regardless of what you have inside of you. But if he's working, amen, if he's working on the inside, it doesn't matter what's on because it's not up to us anyways. Right. So how many times do we hear something from God and we laugh at the inside of us thinking, who am I to do such a thing or who am I that I could go and do such and such? Who am I? Because it's not about us anyways. Amen. And so she laughs at her insides, but but it depends on who you have working because God puts inside of us everything that we need so that we don't need to worry about what's in us when we have God working in us. Anything is possible. Anything. So he takes this 90 year old woman and says he returns her to the time of life. So he doesn't just now restore that function in her body in a 90 year old woman. What he does is he regresses her chronologically, physically, physiologically to a time and place where she can bear children. So you ever notice how when when Abraham is saying, no, she's my sister, like the king's wanting her. I mean, listen, the king has a harem of women, correct? And so if I mean, no offense, but who goes to a nursing home to pick their bride? It doesn't happen. You, you don't. Right. And so the king sees Sarah, who chronologically is 90, but physiologically she's going backwards. So she's so beautiful that this king is like, I want that one. You ever think about it? <laughs> Abraham probably said, Abraham probably laughed and said, no way. She's my sister. <laughs> Which was half true, right? Um, so she was 90 years old. She was 90 years old. God restore. It says that he'll restore her to the time of life. So while she is chronologically 90, right, because she was still born at the same time, it's still the same point in time. God didn't change that. But physically and physiologically, God aged her backwards to where she would have the strength because one. Just the sheer impossibility, if you think about it, of a 90-year-old being able to conceive. But then the strength that you need to raise a baby, to keep up with a baby, to nourish a baby. There's a reason that, you know, you have kids when you're younger. So think about what God did to Sarah and her body so that she could raise this child. No. God brought that backwards. 
about that. But you know, Abraham was strong anyway. He was like, you know, like Moses, like his strength didn't really diminish like we would when we get older. They just held on to strength a little better, I guess. I don't know. Something in that water. Something in that water. Um, so there's that work that happens inside of her. And we'll fast forward just a little bit so that Sarah bears a son, Yitzhak, which means what? Laughter. Isaac. And so why is he called laughter? Because he laughed at her insides. So this is kind of a reminder. I might have laughed at my insides when I heard the promises of God, but there's the fruit of the promise. There's what God promised me. I laughed at what God promised me. And there's the evidence that he is faithful. She may not have. Not that we heard. <laughs> not that Abraham heard. But on the inside, he's like, I'm old. How can I have a child? So, and then, as we discussed last week, that Yitzhak was 37 years old when Abraham takes him up the mountain to sacrifice him. Okay. So listen, she's 90 when she conceives and bears Isaac. So she's 127 years old when Isaac is getting taken up this mountain. And she's 127 years old when she dies. She's 127 years old when she dies. So Genesis, Bereshi's 22 and 19 says that Avram Avinu dwelt at Beersheba after this. And he knew this is a guy that knew he was in trouble when he got home. He didn't even go home. He sat at Beersheba after he took Isaac up that mountain. And I'll tell you why. Because he didn't tell Sarah what they were going to go do. Sarah died from sorrow and heartache because her son was taken to a mountain to be crucified, to be slain. Word got to her. Word gets to Sarah where Avram Avinu has taken Yitzhak and she dies from sorrow because her only son was taken up a mountain to be killed and sacrificed. Now, remind, I'll remind you that Abraham came from a family that was idol worshippers, children sacrificers. And so she probably thinks he's just reverted to his old ways because he didn't share with her the promise that God gave and so husbands I'll challenge you and I'll tell you I'll implore you when God tells you something don't do it in secret make sure you share it with your wife amen when God's dealing with you let it be communicated because I mean this situation right here to me is enough to tell me that man if God tells me something and it's kind of outrageous I need to share it with that one I need to share it with the one closest to me because we're one flesh anyways. Amen. So he does not, or she does not rather know what Hashem spoke. And so that thinking that Abraham, that Avram Avinu has sacrificed their only son and that he returned to those old ways, it says her, her soul departed from her when she died from heartache, from sorrow. So, and you'll notice that you never read of her again in scripture. Either. So when Isaac is taken, She's gone. She departs this world. Um, but we know that Isaac loved his mother. And Avram Avinu makes a covenant with this man named Eliezer. He is his oldest house servant, basically. He makes a covenant with him to go find a wife for Isaac. I know we're fast forwarding a lot through scripture. We're going to cover a lot of ground. And he goes to the kindred of Avram Avinu because Abraham says, I don't want any of the people that dwell in this land for my, my son. I want you to go back to where I came from 
to find a spouse for my for my son. And so he goes to the kindred of Avram Avinu to find a wife for Isaac, and he finds Rivka, or who was Rebecca. And we, or at least I, before I took this, um, didn't realize that who she was exactly. You know, you really don't think about it. I don't think you understand because when, but when you consider Avram Avinu's background, his culture, his heritage, and etc., and he goes back to those people to bring somebody out of there to be his wife, it's like us. I mean, you know, it's kind of like because they're not the church, right? They're still the world, but it's like going back to where his roots were because he knows what God can do with somebody that comes from that place, right? And so she's not in covenant. She's from a clan of idol worshipers. You know, she's got no history. She's got no pedigree. She's not, she's, you know, like any of us, we don't deserve any of this, right? But interestingly, it says that when she asks the servant who that man is, he says, that's the one that you're going to marry. It says she covered herself. She was probably dressed like the world, appeared like the world, adorned like the world. But it says when she saw the one that she was espoused to, she covered herself. And as the bride, we are to cover ourselves. Amen? It's just, that's good. So from that moment, this pagan, who was acceptable as she was, where she was, comes into this place now where she sees or just knows that the way I was is not how this God desires people to be. And so she begins to change immediately in scripture. You see it when she sees her husband, she covers herself. And so she says, now I'm, I'm coming into this new family. I'm coming into this new relationship. I'm coming into amongst this covenant people. And I've got to dress differently. I've got to act differently. I've got to appear differently. It's, it's awesome to see that even in her ignorance, essentially, just by seeing her husband and how he was, that she took on this inherently, just knew the way she was supposed to act. So everything should change when we come into covenant, just like it did for Rivka. Amen? So Genesis 24 and 67 says, Isaac, this is, listen to this, Isaac brought her into his mother, Sarah's tent. So he takes Rivka to Ohel Sarah, and it says, and there he's comforted. I mean, that's this tent. What is it about this? This is a tent, man. So there is where she becomes his wife, and he loved her. And it says, Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. This Ohel, this place where his mom prayed, this place where she had communion, this place where she had promises heard, where he takes his wife, and there is where he's comforted. This tent of Sarah now becomes the tent of Rivka. So the, the crown, if you will, of the matriarch is now passed from Sarah to Rivka. She is now the matriarch of the Hebrews. And so it's a place where the next matriarch of God's people is going to fill her role. So Yitzhak and Rivka, Isaac and Rebekah, apparently, you learn from scripture, had trouble conceiving children. Uh, in Genesis 25 and 21, it says, Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. Where did he entreat the Lord for his barren wife? In the tent. He goes to this tent where mom had a relationship with God. 
where mom heard the promises of God. He goes into that same tent and he himself entreats the Lord for his wife and receives a promise. The Lord was entreated of him, it says, and she conceived. And he met Hashem in that tent and Hashem there answered his prayer and she has the children. And it says these children struggle within her womb. And so she went to inquire of the Lord where in that same tent. Now she has a tent that's becoming her place where she communed with Hashem and makes her petitions and has her intercession and has her time of communion. And so Hashem there informs her that inside of her there are these two goyim, these two nations that are struggling in her womb. There are two manner of am, two manner of people that are going to be delivered of her. She's told, which is backwards, the elder is going to serve the younger. Normally, you know, it would be backwards. The younger would serve the older. But this is going to be reversed because typically what would happen is the oldest, the oldest child would receive the birthright blessing. But this is where we know that he grabbed a hold of Esau's foot, pulled it back in, and then he comes out and he's a supplanter. So it's very interesting. And we're going to learn why this is pronounced upon these sons, Esau and Yaakov. Yes, sir. So he grabbed a hold of his foot and pulled him back in? He tried to pull him back in. Tried to? Tried. Okay, tried. Yes, sir. Esau's. Esau was born first. And then Yaakov is born second. He tried to grab a hold of his heel to hold him in, but he was birthed. Now, here's another kind of interesting part. We believe, I think most people in this room would agree, that life begins not at birth, but at what? Conception. So just kind of an off-the-wall thing, not scriptural, but just food for thought or just to make you think a little bit. Who might have been conceived first? Just something to think about. Who was conceived first? Could have been. We don't know for sure. Obviously, we don't know. But it could have been Jacob that was conceived first. But we know he didn't come out first. So according to scripture, we know Esau is born first, Yaakov born second. And they may be twins, but Hashem told Rivka they are actually two manner of people. They're very distinctly different types of people, actually, who will come to form two very different nations. Esau is born red, which is kind of ruddy, it says, and hairy. And it says he becomes a cunning hunter and a trapper and, quote, a man of the field. While Yaakov is born plain, and it says a smooth man. And who, interestingly, guess where he spends most of his time? His tent. A lot of time in the tent. That's why he's called a smooth man. He's not callous from being out hunting. He's been spending his knees are probably callous because he spends time in the tent. Prayer. Yes. So this is interesting, too, because it says that that Isaac loved Esau because and again, the KJV translation is kind of off. It says because he did eat his venison. But in Hebrew, it says that he trapped him with his mouth. That Esau trapped his father with his mouth, and that's why his dad loved him more. So basically, he's cunning. He's a deceiver. He not only is a trapper of food, but he's a trapper of people. And so he deceives his dad into thinking, man, Esau is a really good son. He is going to be the patriarch of this family. I'm proud of my oldest boy. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It happens. It happens. It happens. 
all the time. I like how it says, though, it says that Jacob loves Esau because he's meat, but Rebecca loves Jacob. That's all it says. She loves Jacob, period. That's all it says. Unconditionally is what I take that to mean. But anyway, so it says that um, apparently Esau spoke really well and was not just a cunning hunter, but again, a speaker, and he was able to trap his people with his words. And so he was able to make it seem as though he would be, in fact, the next patriarch um, to be able to carry that mantle. But we read the same verse again I just mentioned, that Rivka loved Yaakov, period. Rebecca loved Jacob, period. So here comes Esau. He's tired. He's exhausted from hunting. And Yaakov is in the kitchen. Who said that earlier? <laughs> That's just a doing. He's a, he's a, he's a man, of the, man of the kitchen. We've got a man of the field and a man of the kitchen. <laughs> So he's cooking, he's making lentil, he's making this stew, and his brother, this red guy, says, give me some, pour into me, literally the Hebrew says, pour into me some of that red stuff. Pour it into me. I'm about to faint. Literally, I'm about to die from exhaustion. Pour it into me. Like, he's so tired, he can't even lift his hand to his mouth to feed himself. Pour it into me. I'm going to die. And so... Esau, it says, is Edom, the father of the Edomite, which Edom also means red. In Hebrew, so just another little side note. Um, so, of course, we know what Yaakov tells Esau, that in exchange for this food, he says, what? Sell me your birthright. Give me your birthright. And in English, I don't know if we understand fully the complexity of what a birthright is, what a blessing that is. Um, to us, it just sounds like, you know, when you read about the rich young ruler and his older brother, where the older person gets the double portion where basically you know the, the father has these two sons. It's not just split one and two. It's basically split in three because this one gets two and this one gets one. That's what we, I think, often think is what the birthright blessing is. It's a double portion of what the younger one gets. But so Yaakov is asking for way more than just your double portion. I don't really care about what father is going to leave you. I want the birthright. I want the responsibility that comes with being the patriarch. You don't deserve it, Esau. I want it. I've wanted it since before we were born. When I came out trying to hold on to your heel, I want the birthright. I want to lead God's people, is what he is telling his brother. And he says, what good to me is that right now if I die? Go ahead, have it. Take it. I don't want it. I don't want that responsibility. A lot of us, we want the blessing, but not the responsibility. Amen. God, bless me, bless me, bless me, but don't burden me with any more responsibility. That's Esau. And so these twins, they have very different destinies. One trying to get the birthright and one that defies the birthright. What good is this birthright to me, he says, if I'm dead? So he eats and it says he strengthens. And then Romans 9 and 13 revisits these two. He says, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. So there's more really going on here than what just appears. So Esau is firstborn, Yaakov is secondborn. So could we say then that God despises our first birth? That if Esau is the firstborn, and it says, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. God hates your firstborn, your first birth, your natural birth. The birth that cursed you. The birth that brought you life of sin but Jacob the second birth I love your rebirth 
Your second birth I love. Your first birth that brought you into this world, but first you were sin, I hate, I despise it. But the second birth that brings you into my kingdom, I love. That's in Genesis. The new birth in Genesis. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. At least it is to me, anyway. So this says in verse 45 in Romans, Corinthians rather, 15. So it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Albeit that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural. So he's talking about your natural birth, or we could say Esau, your natural birth. And afterward, that which is spiritual, Jacob. The first man is of the earth. And notice Edom is red, ruddy, earthy. Just like Adam would have been. But the second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. So we were born like Esau. But God says, I don't want you just to chase down my blessing. I want you to chase me down. Essentially, if you look at it, that's what Jacob was doing. When he grabbed onto the heel of Esau, Esau was going to be the one that was the head of the family that communed with God. But Jacob says, no, I want that staff. I want that position. Because Esau hated or despised his birthright, and Yaakov was willing to do whatever he had to do to get it and to gain that responsibility of being the spiritual leader of God's people. I love Jacob. I love Jacob. So in Genesis 27, it's Isaac, he's about to die and he's on his deathbed. And so he wants to transfer his birth, the birthright to the oldest son. Right. And um, so Esau, which is Esau. And so he sends Esau, hey, I want you to go out and I want you to go trap some meat. Kill it for me, slay it for me, fillet it for me, cook it for me. You know how I like it and bring it back in to me. And then when you bring it, I'll bless you. So Rebecca since Jacob and said she kills a goat and puts hair on him. And, you know, so this is interesting, right? So when he comes in and, and he can't see, so he feels of him. So it feels right, kind of smells right, but doesn't sound right. Doesn't sound right. So how it could be possible then that things to us may feel okay, right? May appear okay. Man, what does it sound like, though? What does it sound like, the words of God? Does it sound like, man? So what he hears and what he feels are contradicting each other. They don't line up. They're not the same. So we got to pay attention to what we hear and live by what we hear and not by what we feel. We walk by faith, not sight. Don't walk by feeling. Walk by faith. Walk by what you know. Amen? Because what you feel can deceive you, and faith comes by hearing, and faith is not a feeling. It's not a feeling. So we know that Jacob gets his birthright, and now, now, now that Jacob got it, now Esau's ready to fight for it. Now he's ready to go and, and chase him down, run him down, and kill him. Because Jacob got that birthright, Esau got a blessing, but Jacob got the blessing. He got the blessing that he was willing to fight for this blessing, but not the birthright. Isn't that interesting? 
Utah wants to fight for the blessing, but he won't fight for the burden. So there's this responsibility that comes with you, or comes for us, rather, when we are born again into the kingdom of God. There's a responsibility that it's not just about the blessing. It's not just about the blessing of having that blessing, but it is a responsibility. Our true blessing is, now I believe. So he didn't want to fight for the spiritual, but he wanted to fight for the man. Yeah. He wasn't willing to fight for the spiritual. He wasn't willing to fight for the responsibility of it, because, you know, the patriarch took up that place of prayer. The patriarch was the one that prayed for the family, interceded for the family. He didn't want anything to do with that. He just wanted the tangible. Absolutely. 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 He did whatever he could to get it. certainly things that you can learn from his example, right? Despising the things of the world and pursuing the things of God, right? Pursuing not only just God's blessing, not only his favor, but relationships. Yes, ma'am, Sister Dina. So Esau, it says, was a field dweller. Esau was a field dweller. But Yaakov is a tent dweller. And think about the connotation there when it says, Esau I hated, but Jacob I loved. He was always out there trying to just gain, gain, gain. But where Jacob was, he was in the tent. He was in prayer. I love Jacob. think about it, there's a lot of people that want Jesus to be Savior, but not Lord. Save me, save me, save me, but don't tell me what to do. Yeah. He can be, he can't be Savior and not Lord. He won't be. Amen. So it's, it's interesting, though, just a real quick thing to finish up on them. Proverbs 6, 19, 16 through 19 lists the six things that God hates, and they are Esau personified. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19.
she took this goodly raiment that was Esau's clothing and put it upon Jacob, the youngest. And it says, and he, Yaakov, came near and kissed him, talking about to his father. And he smelled the smell of his raiment. Right? He takes the smell of these clothes that are on his son. And he blessed him and said, see, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field which the Lord hath blessed. So my question that I pose to you is, what is the raiment, what is this garment of Esau? Yitzhak smells, Isaac smells the garment of Esau on Yaakov. And it has the smell of a field that has been blessed by Hashem. It is believed, it's not in the Bible, but it is believed in Jewish history that the coat that Hashem made in the garden for Adam and Eve, for Adam and clothed them, was passed down from generation to generation. And then so it went from Adam, it went to Enoch, it went to Methuselah, it went to Noah, and to Ham, where it said in Bereshis 9 that Ham saw the nakedness of his father. He uncovered his father. He took that mantle, which is that coat of skin. And so he tried to steal being the patriarch from his dad. And he was cursed, right? And so he passes it to Cush and then to Nimrod, who was a mighty and a cunning hunter, who Esau aspired to be like. And so he kills Nimrod and takes this coat back. Is it? The Jews believe that. The Jews believe that that's what happened. And so it has the smell on it of this field that is blessed by Hashem, the Garden of Eden. And then I'll pose you one last question before we're finished for tonight. Is, is it possible that this is the same coat of many colors that Joseph gets? Is this the coat? 